Everything hinges on the Word of God. The security of the believer, the grasp of God's grace, the fact of God's grace. Everything that he's just explained through eight chapters hinges on God's Word. And when Paul looks at the failure of Israel, who had all these privileges to believe, he says, has God's Word failed? No way. It is not as though God's Word has failed. Don't ever forget that. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my word will not pass away. God's word will be accomplished. When God says something, he means it. And one day, all of history will display the faithfulness of God to his word. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue on our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, God's Word Has Not Failed. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Turn to Romans chapter 9. I hope you're reading uh, Romans, and particularly, I would encourage you during uh, these weeks to be reading chapters 9 through 11. And last week, we kind of introduced this section and walked through it. And uh, I want to just remind you that uh, God is righteous in all His ways. And the theme of Romans really is the righteousness of God and how we might be right with a righteous God. And in chapters 9, 10, and 11, Paul addresses the issue of Israel and uh, the question of what about Israel? And in, a, in a, an oversimplified way, I suppose, but I don't want to do, I don't want to get into it too far. We'll end up spending the whole time just looking at a sweep through the chapters again. But uh, to oversimplify it, God's past dealings were righteous with Israel, chapter 9. God is presently dealing, chapter 10, in a righteous way with Israel. And God's future purposes for Israel will show forth His great righteousness. And in fact, uh, each chapter, look at them with me for just a moment. Each chapter begins with Paul's personal heart. Chapter 9, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart as I think about my countrymen, my kinsmen. Paul's anguish over Israel's unbelief. Chapter 10, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Paul's prayer for their salvation. And chapter 11, his affirmation that he too is Jewish. He's an Israelite. Uh, I, too, am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. And, of course, uh, as he wrestles with this issue, what about Israel? He closes, and I want to just glance ahead, look at the end of it. Uh, Look over at 33 of chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches, verse 33. Both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became His counselor or who has first given to Him that it might be paid back to Him again? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. 
Okay, the uh, ninth chapter. Has God's word failed? You see, Paul has just rejoiced that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We have every reason to rejoice, but it is all founded on God's character. And God's character is uh, made known to us through His Word. And so Paul, looking at Christ, he has unceasing joy, you know. And he just, he basks. And I think every Christian loves the end of chapter 8 of Romans. And I've read it many a time at a graveside or in a hospital room or found it to be my comfort in a time of pressure or trouble or trial. And uh, we instinctively love to enjoy the end of Romans 8. But Romans 9 begins as Paul contemplates Israel with sorrow. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises. Whose are the fathers? From whom is the Christ? According to the flesh, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Now when Paul steps back from what he's just explained in the gospel and the systematic explanation and display of God's grace through eight chapters and thinks about God's promises to Israel, immediately he begins to sorrow and grieve. And, you know, I talked about it last time. Uh, it's a healthy tension that the believer, a healthy believer, can have joy in the Lord and yet sorrow and grief and burden for those around him who do not know Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul models for us, particularly as he thinks about his kinsmen according to the flesh. Now, there's many ways to kind of think of these three chapters, and I want you to see the argument of what they're saying, and we, we will greatly magnify God, just like Paul did. He, oh, the depth of the riches. The more we understand where he's going here. So in one sense, you could ask it this way, and you could su summarize the whole three chapters this way. Has God's word failed? The first five and a half, I guess you'd say, verses here. Uh, and that's the question, and the answer is the rest, chapter 9, 10, and 11. No, no, God's word has not failed. But Paul, as he looks at his brethren, his kinsmen, he says, why is it then with all their privileges that they haven't believed, that they haven't responded because remember, by the time Paul writes Romans, though the early church was filled with Jews, and in fact all the early disciples were Jews, yet as they took the gospel out, by and large, the nation rejected the gospel, and the Gentiles welcomed the gospel and welcomed God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so Paul is wrestling with this and wondering, 
and uh, raises the question because he's had it raised, I'm sure, many a time by the Jewish opposition to the gospel uh, that would be saying, if that's true, then God is, God's word has failed. God isn't uh, faithful to his promises to Israel. And so that's the context here. And Paul says, I have great sorrow, unceasing grief in my heart when I think about my Israelite kinsmen, according to the flesh. And verse 3, I mean, I could wish. He doesn't say I wish. He says I could wish. The tense there is important, and it's the potential. He just said, nobody can separate us from the love of God. Nothing, no created being, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So he knows that he can't be separated from Christ. But he says, I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren. What a heart Paul had for his people. You know, when Moses said, forgive them, Lord, or blot me out of thy book, similar heart, similar heart. And I'll tell you, everything you read the rest of this chapter, and I know if you've been reading, there's already some who are saying, well, what, how can God do this? Or what's, what, you know, and there's this tendency to question God. But I'll tell you what, everything you read from here on should be the backdrop, should be uh, these first three verses. Because Paul's heart is a manifestation of God's heart. But against the backdrop of Israel's privileges, why is it then that they haven't believed? Notice how he describes them, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. I mean, that says it all for Paul. Who are Israelites. To whom belongs the adoption as sons and the glory and the covenants. And he begins to rehearse the privileges of the nation Israel. He says, these are Israelites to whom belongs the adoption as sons. You only have I chosen among all the families of the earth, Amos 3.2 says, God said to Israel. When God first told Moses to go before Pharaoh, he said, say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. Let my son go, that he may serve me. That's how God spoke. Israel is God's son, to whom belongs the adoption as sons. And then look at the next phrase, the glory. Think of the glory that Israel knew. I mean, I think the first thing we maybe think of is the pillar of fire, his very presence over the camp as they left Israel, or as they left Egypt, excuse me. And uh, God's protection and His providence over Israel. But there's so much more than that, really, when you think of it. Uh, the glory of God on the mountain. And when Moses said, oh, I pray thee, show me thy glory. God said, I, I can't do that, but I'll tell you what. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll put my hand over it. And when my glory passes by, that's as much as you can see. And he says, I'll have mercy upon whom I'll have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And he manifests to Moses and Israel the glory of his sovereign mercy and compassion. And then, you know, you read the book of Exodus and you finish it. And he, he had them painstakingly obey him in building the tabernacle just the way he wanted it built. And you get to the end. And let me just read what took place. And, and as you read through those chapters of them building the tabernacle and 
uh, erecting it just like God said to. Thus Moses finished the work of building the tabernacle. Then the the cloud covered the tent of the meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I mean, they had seen plenty, hadn't they? And I turn then to uh, when Solomon built the temple for the Lord and uh, when they were no longer wandering around in the wilderness and they were settled in and he built this magnificent temple for the Lord. And when it was finished... When they praised the Lord, speaking of, and I'm reading from Second Chronicles 5, when they, had, when they were dedicating the temple, and when they praised the Lord, saying, He indeed is good, for His loving kindness is everlasting, then the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God." Uh, They knew about God's glory. They had the very presence of the Lord in their presence. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. Paul says, to whom belongs the adoption of sons, the glory, the covenants, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, even the new covenant specifically mentions the house of Israel and Judah the promises of God, the temple service, the giving of the law. What advantage has the Jew? You know, he'd asked this earlier in chapter 3. Great in every respect, first of all, that to them was entrusted the oracles of God. God gave them His revelation. They had much privilege. And Paul says, how is it then that they haven't believed? I, I have unceasing grief when I think of this. Notice, look at the last two phrases there in verse 4. The temple service, the whole sacrificial system, the whole religious system that Israel had was given to them by God. And the emphasis there, the term he uses is uh, the, the rituals of sacrifice that pictured the coming sacrifice and the promises. Whose are the fathers, verse 5? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes, David, Solomon. You know, you think back to their patriarchal history and on further, and they had so much uh, privilege. And then, despite all these things, and I don't want to minimize these things, look at the last phrase. This caps it off. From whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is God over all, blessed forever, Amen. Great as all these other privileges, and I don't want to minimize them, the crowning privilege from whom is the Christ, the anointed one. God chose to bring forth his son through Israel. And when Paul states this, he's said it all. I mean, and notice what he says. And by the way, uh, notice he starts this ninth chapter just like he started the epistle. He talks about the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ. From whom is the Christ according to the flesh, 
who is God over all. Now, there's, uh, that's not quite the way it reads in the New American, and each translation struggles with this because the punctuation means everything here, and there is no punctuation, of course, in the original. But it seems to me best to read this, and, uh, and, and it's very clearly a statement of who He is, and He is, according to the flesh, He comes from Israel, but He is God over all, blessed forever. And that's been the traditional understanding of the text on through. Christ is not only man, He's God. Look back at chapter 1. Look back to the very beginning of the gospel in Romans. When He said, uh, He's going to write, He said, Paul, a bondservant of Christ, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son. The gospel is all about Christ who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, who was declared with power to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. Paul began by saying the gospel is all about his Son. It concerns his Son, and his Son is both man and God. Now when he talks about Israel's privilege, and he brings up this great issue of God's dealings with Israel, he says, from whom is the Christ According to the flesh, he, they, he came from Israel, and He is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. You see, all the blessings of God for Israel flow from the fact that God became man. All the blessings of God today to you, Christian, flow from the great truth that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We rightfully celebrate and rejoice when we think that God became man. And I'll tell you what, belief in Jesus Christ is not a little appendage, and it's not a little side issue. Everything hinges on the truth that Christ came. The one who is God came to this earth and became man, and He came through Israel. Now, Israel has rejected Him, by and large, in Paul's day, and that's still through truth through till today. And so he says, what's the deal? Has the Word of God failed? And that's really where I want us to look, verses 6 through 13, and just listen. It is not as though the Word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. Neither are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be named." That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is, the, is a word of promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah. Also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac, for though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose according to His choice might stand, not because of works, but because of Him who calls. It was said to her, The older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Now, some uh, are quick to to say this refers only to nations and rule out individuals here. And others see this speaking only to individuals and miss 
the point about the nations. We need to see both. And uh, God is speaking about both here as he begins this great subject. And if I were to look at the big picture again, I would say this. This is God vindicating his faithfulness in verses 6 through 13. And Paul, as the author says, oh, God is faithful to what he said. God's word has not failed. He's vindicating his faithfulness. And then in verse 14 and following, God's righteousness is vindicated and defended. Now, having said that, let's, uh, let's look at it. It is not as though, he says, the word of God has failed. Everything hinges on the word of God. The security of the believer, the grasp of God's grace, the fact of God's grace, everything that he's just explained through eight chapters hinges on God's word. And when Paul looks at the failure of Israel, who had all these privileges to believe, he says, has God's word failed? No way. It is not as though God's word has failed. Don't ever forget that. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my word will not pass away. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Has he spoken and will he not make it good? Balaam, the false prophet, was forced to say that. He was forced to underline the truth that God's word will be accomplished. When God says something, he means it. And one day, all of history will display the faithfulness of God to his word. God's word has not failed. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Jesus, when he was tempted, said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word of God is tested. He's a shield to those who take refuge in him. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Christ said, constantly he pulled us back to the very word of God. We can trust the character of God, and the character of God is displayed and revealed through his words. His very words, the words that I speak to you, Jesus said in John 6, are spirit and are life. Now, he says, the word of God has not failed. It's not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. You see, it's not just merely a matter of physical descent. He's already said that. Look back at chapter 2. Look at the end of chapter 2. And in one sense, he's picking up now some of the things that he raised at the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3 and didn't really uh, finish all that he had to say. So he picks it up. And you remember back in chapter 2, he's criticizing the Jewish self-righteousness that says, well, we're circumcised, we've got the law. And uh, there are many people like that today, Jew or Gentile. I've been baptized, I, I go to church, I've got my... And they claim all their privileges. And one that they'll claim is being born into the right line. And so Paul says, oh no. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, God's Word Has Not Failed, a message from our series in the Book of Romans.
If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the Ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. We're thankful that you've chosen to listen to us on this station. And we invite you to downtownbible.org to download or listen to any past program or to subscribe to our daily podcast. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Why did he choose Israel? Because he did. Was it because Israel was lovely? No, he says, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. The Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery and from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God, he is God. Oh, God's sovereign grace toward Israel will not be thwarted because of Israel's failure. Israel When God chose Abraham, he was an idolater, and God has to save sinners, and that's what he does. And if he had to, and if it depended on our faithfulness, or our willing, or our running, there would be no salvation. But God, in sovereign mercy and grace, has reached in and saved. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, God's Word Has Not Failed. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. 